I'm Johnny B. Good, the host of the podcast Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. This podcast dives deep into the story of Ray Trapani and his company Centratech. I'll explore how 320-somethings built a company out of lies, deceit, and greed. I've been saying since a very young age that I was going to be a millionaire. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Every family has an origin story, one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great-great-grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast hosts Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I came dressed as Lady Diana. (laughs) I just say, you know. I thought there was a sort of demure innocence about you when you came in. It was so funny. My friend was at my house and she was like, why are you wearing a Victorian nightie out of the house? And I was like, all right, lots of people are wearing these. And, he, and they're she all was the rage. Like, mm, they're not. <laughs> people look like they've seen I a ghost. you were a ghost, yeah, when you came exactly. back. <laughs> I just didn't know this place was haunted. Hello, I'm Minnie Driver. Welcome to Mini Questions Season 2. I've always loved Proust's questionnaire. It was originally a 19th century parlour game where players would ask each other 35 questions aimed at revealing the other player's true nature. It's just the scientific method, really. In asking different people the same set of questions, you can make observations about which truths appear to be universal. I love this discipline. And it made me wonder, what if these questions were just the jumping off point? What greater depths would be revealed if I asked these questions as conversation starters with thought leaders and trailblazers across all these different disciplines? So I adapted Proust's questionnaire and I wrote my own seven questions that I personally think are pertinent to a person's story. They are, when and where were you happiest? What is the quality you like least about yourself? What relationship, real or fictionalized, defines love for you? What question would you most like answered? What person, place, or experience has shaped you the most? What would be your last meal? And can you tell me something in your life that's grown out of a personal disaster? 
And I've gathered a group of really remarkable people, ones that I am honoured and humbled to have had the chance to engage with. You may not hear their answers to all seven of these questions. We've whittled it down to which questions felt closest to their experience or the most surprising or created the most fertile ground to connect. My guest today is the actor, writer and K-pop lover, Simon Pegg. Simon is, by my estimation, a brilliant actor. And he loves a franchise. Star Trek, Mission Impossible and the Cornetto trilogy have all been made a million times more dynamic by having him in them. We were born a few days apart in the same year, as it turns out, and we have the exact same cultural references. So one of my favourite things to do is to name a TV show from when we were kids and to ask him to sing the theme tune. And he does it. Like, he doesn't even have to think about it. He just knows every single song, and it's a talent that makes me wish we'd actually known each other when we were kids. He is a human jukebox. I could talk to Simon all day long, so I hope you really enjoy this episode. All right, I'm going to ask you the first question now. This is it. Yes. When and where were you happiest? I thought about this. Is there a particular time frame you have in mind in terms of like a moment of happiness like a sort of brief moment of happiness or a period of time where I maintained my happiness or that's a really good and annoying question of putting it back on me to qualify (laughs) but I do think that it's I wonder if there is is there a period of your life that Mm. stands out but there could also be I'm also interested in like an aha moment of self-awareness of being happy I suppose being really connected consciously to that happy moment I do have those occasionally. And when you suddenly become self-aware of your own happiness, because happiness is is a continuum. I've learned this over time, is that happiness is a continuum which includes despair and everything, you know, because you can't have happiness unless you experience the other stuff as well. So you need those things as part of your happiness. It's like if you're on a skateboard and coasting is happiness, then the despair and misery and angst and fear that's your kicks you know when you're pushing along and then you can coast for a while and I guess the longest I've ever coasted would be you know what I think back to the birth of my daughter and I was actually in the midst of quite a crisis at that time personally but I remember those four days in the hospital in uh, St. John's in Santa Monica Hmm. of being in that room with Maureen and just you know having had the baby and it was like a little I always accidentally call it the hotel when I tell the story. I say hotel, I mean hospital, because it was like, you know, SAG got it for us, obviously, because I was over there working. And uh, it was this lovely little room, and we were like ordering pizza to the door, and it was the 4th. She was born on the 1st of July, so we were still in there on the 4th. So I remember ordering in an Indian, which you don't get the best curries in America. They don't quite go like we do. Not in in LA, certainly. Like we the English do. Yeah, like we the English (laughs) do. God. (laughs) <laughs> the empire curry yeah but like sitting on the little windowsill where i was sleeping and watching the fireworks and having this new little life it was like a little bubble of happiness inside a period where i was very very unhappy i was in the midst of a kind mm. of you know depression which i've since come out of and i think the 10 years following that have been very happy with moments of awfulness within that peppered within obviously because you you can't just be happy No, and I completely agree about the contrast. You have to categorically have the contrast in order to experience happiness. I think we do really egregiously forget that. 
it's thrown into relief by other harder times. Yeah, and I think it's impossible. It's a fool's sort of errand to try and be happy all the time. Because if you're chasing that, it's something you'll never get it. You know? But we're weirdly encouraged to do that. That's exactly, yeah. that's the sort of specious nature of advertising and social media and this idea that there is an optimum happiness that other people or you, if you bought this, you would also be able to attain this. I mean, I know that's sort of marketing in general, but yeah. social media has added another level of sort of skewed awfulness to the idea that everybody else is experiencing happiness while you are super glum. That's so true. And also, social media has given us the capacity to fake our own happiness. Oh, I constantly fake my <laughs> happiness. So you look at your people, yeah, your yeah. friends' social media, and, oh, well, they're such a great time, mm. and here's me doing this, and there's a selfie of this. But really, it's a facade. It's a shop front. I don't you. I found, I've looked because I find that stories in Instagram are actually more, uh, much clearer about my mental state than anything I like on the the grid. The grid is just that sort of that is connected self promotion like that. But yes. stories, you're going into the weeds, and it will be like you know, lovely, 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 and then it'll just be like a weird. <clears throat> An awful sort of reminder of something, like yeah. a piece of art and like hashtag hold on, which I did yesterday. <laughs> it was really grim. It was like some John Lennon lyrics. Oh my God, it was written. I was like, oh, that's that's the shadow. Did you feel like you'd been you'd overshared in that moment? Or yeah, I felt you... like I was like, do you know what? That balances it all out. That balances out that's the river escape. But that's me for another week. <laughs> that's me for another week. Everybody. I can pretend now for a week. <laughs> <laughs> carry on faking. Mm. Maybe that's the new carry on film. I remember when I was a kid having moments of extreme excitement, like when I couldn't quite control myself because I was suddenly excited about Christmas or something or some TV show or something. And I still get that as an adult. Sometimes I'm at work, you know, when I'm doing something which I'm really loving and I get that sense of, like, oh man, I'm so lucky to be doing this job because it's like, it brings me happiness, you know, it's sort yeah. of like, or I took Tilly to Alton Towers at the weekend. And that was one of those, that was an unbridled happiness day. Will you explain what Alton Towers is for our American listeners? Alton Towers is like our sort of Six Flags, I guess, our Disneyland. It's more like Six Flags because it's yeah. roller coasters. It's just roller coasters, yeah. right? Yeah. And they are epic. And a lot epic. of puke. A lot of puke. <laughs> Weirdly enough, it's the old school fairground rides that make me feel sick these days. The ones that go round and round. Yeah, I can't do those spinning Roller coasters, ones. I don't, I love them. And we went on everything and we... It was me and Tilly and her friend Tessie, and we just had the best day. Oh, my God. It was God. unbridled joy all day long. So maybe that is it. It's about the awareness of happiness, not the idea that it should be a continuum. Mm. That's ridiculous. Or that it is this goal that you have to arrive at, because that's also not possible. But rather in those moments, feeling that happiness yeah. incarnate, as it were. Yeah, it's like suddenly being aware of the fact that you're happy. I think you can be happy, perfectly happy, and not really think, oh, I'm happy. Because you're just on a sort of whatever line of flight you're on, you're just yeah. on it and you're not sort of thinking about it. But I do get moments now and again when I think, oh, I'm really happy today. Are there places where you know that you are going to be happy? Like if I do this and I go here, I know I'm going to feel better. Yes. Yeah. Yes. What, what is that? Kefalonia, which is an island oh, in, in Greece. Greece. Yeah. Where we've been pretty much every year for 20 years, my wife and I and, you know, until after she was born, we have friends there that we love, Greek friends that we met there and who have become like our Greek family. They're so generous. And so I haven't paid for a drink there 16 years. As soon as they found out I was on the telly, 
they were so impressed, even though they'd never seen it and they didn't know who I was. They were like, oh, Simon's on the TV. <laughs> and like, they've got pictures of me all over the bar. Oh it's my hilarious. God. But I mean, it's a good job I don't drink because I'm cheap. I'm a cheap date because they just have to buy me sparkling water. But, but Also, that feeds into like the weird anomaly of celebrity where you're finally actually earning proper money and then you stop having to pay for things. Yes. <laughs> I had that the other day. I had such a weird experience. I was on Dean Street and I, w I was getting some cash out and there was a girl sat by the cash machine and she was homeless. So I said, I'll buy you some food. And she's like, cool, can you buy me a pizza? So I walked up the road to the pizza shop. The guy in the pizza shop recognized me and gave me the pizza for free. Oh my gosh. And I thought, wait, this is really confusing because I've I wanna I kind of want to feel good about being altruistic here and buying someone a pizza. <laughs> you are ruining my Samaritan <laughs> moment by giving me free stuff. By giving me free stuff when I don't need a free pizza, you know, even though it was a sweet thing to do on his behalf. So I kept it. No, I didn't. <laughs> so I ate so I ate it. Because <laughs> it was for me. <laughs> what quality do you like least about yourself? Apart from just physical things that you obviously have, you know, I'm very self-critical and I'd like uh, certain things to be different. What, like your pecs? Oh, I'd definitely like my pecs to be but is that squarer. Cause, is that, is that, <laughs> <laughs> I want squarer pecs. Mine are too round. Mine are too, yeah, too spherical. Um, I, tell, I, I think I, I, would, I wish I cared less about what people thought about me. Do you know what I mean? How do you know what they think about you? Or is that also created? I think I'm very eager to please, generally. You know, and that's, mm. that's not, that doesn't come from just being a performer who invariably requires some kind of external validation, you know, as I think most performers are seeking, I guess. I don't know why we act, whether it's because we have the capacity to simulate real emotions and thus can do that and get paid, or is it because doing that brings us some kind of approval from somewhere or the people in front of which we are doing that i don't know what do I you think, think i think it's both is it i do i really think it comes from like the a fundamental schism as a person of being insecure and wanting approbation yeah. whilst also being a really good conduit and articulator of emotion and then the luck comes in with being able to get paid to do something that's basically an insecurity turned into something else yeah, I think you're right. It's not just being insecure. It is interesting that like, we're just hearing you say that of going, well, how, what is it we think they're thinking? Are they just judging us in our entirety? Are they judging our mental acuity, our spiritualness, like your hair, yeah. like the way that you cough? Our personal worth. Our personal worth. Because it's really familiar to me, but I wonder, like, how do we come up with that? Does the, it feels like maybe a much younger person came up with that idea, and then we just kept it around. The wounded child. I think so. Instead of going, all right, love, here's a Band-Aid. Yeah. Sit yourself down. I very much like to be liked, and I guess this comes from childhood stuff, wanting to be liked by various adults in my life who, who didn't like me, <laughs> do you know what I mean? And trying really hard to make them like me. Did you ever give up? Did you ever try to make them like you and then just go, well, fuck it, this isn't going to work. So I'm just going to pivot really hard into just something else. I think my tactic used to be just kill them with kindness and try not to do that and give them a reason to, to double down on their sort of disdain. I'm talking about step parents, basically, mm. uh, just so you didn't think it was just mm. random adults that didn't like me. It's weird because those relationships improved eventually. But by the time they'd improved, I was over 15 and all that stuff that is just cemented in your core it, it calcifies I, between I, seven and yes 15, you know? 
it concretizes. But it's weird how we then carry those around like an albatross. Yeah. And I still listen to narratives that I know were written and recorded by a much younger version of myself who mm. like shouldn't be responsible for that stuff anymore. And also, it's funny, isn't it? Like the echo yeah. chamber. It's a little core program that you can't quite rewrite unless you really get into it with someone. I mean, I'm talking about therapy and, and kind of unpick it all. But even then, it's buried somewhere deeper than you can excavate. Well, and that's actually really interesting. I just said this to the miraculous Elizabeth Day. We had a lunch together. That's why it's so nice to see you after we made our film. Like, I love seeing people that I've met in a professional capacity and then you see them outside of that. Yeah. Because it feels like your friendship has legs. And I was like, why is it so difficult to know what you know? <laughs> And she knew exactly what I meant, which was, you know, you. I wrote a book about things not working out is actually your life yeah. working out. And yet I still find myself in tears or sad about stuff that is not working out. And I was like, I literally wrote the book yeah. about this yeah. and I haven't learned it. Why is it so hard? This is not one of my questions, but I just want you to But it me. feeds into it. Why? But it's like a phobia, you know, when you look at a spider, if you're frightened of a spider, you know, every fiber of your of your rational mind knows that that. If it's just a kind of little house spider, it can't hurt you. There's no way it can hurt you. And yet something in your amygdala, I guess, you know, some ancient part of your brain. Yeah, reptilian brain, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, is sort of like screaming. And and I think that's how they try and get people to obviously face phobias, is to, is to try and get your rational mind to overthrow. But it's just so deep. That, mm, that programming cool is so programming. profound, you know. So maybe then we just learn to live with it and recognize it. So awareness then becomes the yeah. healing adjacent yeah, you have to kind of take a moment to think, wait a minute, I'm doing this because of this, yeah. not because it's a fact. Or yeah, whatever, exactly. Know? Yeah. Well, how are you with reviews of things? I can't read anything. No. I think I've figured out really early on, if you read the good stuff and you give that credence, then if you read the bad stuff, and the bad stuff was so caustic and hideous mm. and destroyed me. Honestly, stopped me eating for weeks at a time. Like I'd read something that the Daily Mail had written, really absolutely knowing I have no control over this. I want to take control. I'm not going to eat. Yeah. Awful, awful, awful. So I've really made a deal to not read them. Yeah. And people I love know not to ring up and go, God, I read this thing in the paper. You should hear it. <laughs> My father-in-law always does that. Oh, you got two stars in the oh, crust. But... <laughs> you got two stars out of how many? <laughs> Ten. <laughs> but at the same time. But there's... I want, also want to know the yeah. people that I know. Part Simon. of me wants to read the good ones. I know. It's a kind of self-harm, isn't it? You you yeah. go in there knowing. I remember the first time I, I ever found, like really back in the early days, like early 2000s, when the internet was really young, there was like a comedy forum, you know, with these comedy nerds all talking about. I mean, stuff I did in like 98 even. I mean, maybe it was even before the turn of the century. But I remember stumbling across a, a, a chat forum called What is the Point of Simon Pegg? No. And I hadn't really done that much. No, I, I was devastated. I'm not surprised. Like, I'm devastated now. <laughs> And I've got a lot better at dealing with that. God, that's really... You know what's interesting? The meanest stuff, actually, it's so much to do with relevancy. And even a few days ago, I was trolled, which doesn't happen that often, but yeah. with that notion of relevancy. Right. Like, what is the point of, or you has been, or you... Yeah, what do you mean? What do you mean? Like, you're so insignificant, your opinion. It's really interesting that that's the core shiv of relevancy when none of us actually mean anything at all yeah that's true i'm really sorry that there was like a reddit about 
your relevancy because I think that's <laughs> fucking ridiculous. But I'd never, it was like in the days before anyone knew about that kind of thing. Yeah. And I was like, what? This can happen. Now, you know, people tend to be nice. I left Twitter not because it was trollish, just because I, I found it a bit of a clamor and I didn't really enjoy it. I since joined Instagram about just over a year ago and I like it. It's a nice little community. People are genuinely yeah. pretty lovely. And sometimes if someone is nasty, you just think, do you know what I think of always is that line from Gross Point Blank. Which one? When John Cusack says to his old sort of rival, who are you mad at, man? Because it's not me. Oh, yeah. It, and it's such a brilliant line, That's you know. so good. And it's so true. It's like, I think about when whenever someone like launches some tirade against me, I just think, well, who are you mad at? Because it isn't me. Yeah. You don't know me. It's some perceived idea of something that you've connected me to, you know. I like the fact that you can rationalize what that person thinks of you because yeah. it isn't it isn't about what they think of you it's really about what they think about themselves exactly and then you becoming the focal point of that using a film that you were in yeah by the way that is six <laughs> degrees of therapy bacon <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Jamila Jamil here. You may know me from my role in The Good Place or from She-Hulk or from social media and my activism. I Weigh basically started as a social movement and my podcast is one of my truly greatest achievements. It's a podcast against shame and a place for us to have really honest and truly inclusive conversations. I love connecting with people. I love learning. I have a lot to learn and I'm inviting you along with me. On I Weigh with Jamila Jamil, I have friends, activists, specialists and absolute heroes join me to teach me from their experience and expertise. People like Conan O'Brien, Jane Fonda, Roxanne Gay, Reese Witherspoon, Nicole Byer, Alok, Kelly Rowland, and more. I Weigh with Jamila Jamil has new episodes out every Tuesday and you can find the show on earwolf.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because, God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I, I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, if, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? 
Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. <laughs> oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed, And to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. What relationship, real or fictionalized, defines love for you? I can rationalize sexual love and romantic love as being a chemical reaction. You know, at my most kind of like... Because I'm a very dogged atheist and, and I don't really have any kind of spirituality about me particularly. And I'm not fanciful about stuff in my old age, you know. I understand that when we meet someone that we're attracted to, there's dopamine and serotonin and it makes us feel good. And we get a bit addicted to that person. And that person is, that is love. And then eventually that sort of wears off a little bit and it becomes something else, you know. But I cannot find a way to rationalize the love I feel for Tilly, my daughter. Because it does feel bigger than that. It doesn't feel like chemicals. It feels like something way more ancient and special and cosmic. I can't quantify it. I can't understand it. Do you know what I mean? It's just So there. does loving Tilly make you believe in goddess? <laughs> <laughs> it makes me believe in a kind of magic in a Freddie Mercury yeah. way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's incredible. I know somewhere along the line there it's a species perpetuating kind of bond which is incredibly important to our biological persistence but really works well it's clearly partly that but i don't think it's the whole story like i've spoken to some proper scientists in my day simon (laughs) i spoke to this this amazing man called lord winston who was one of the people that helped sequence the genome oh wow and he's a devout christian as well and listening to him speak about the nexus of spirit and science and what that feels and looks like. He was so brilliantly articulate and so humble in his approach. It was the first time I really believed that like they can coexist. Yeah. They do in him and the way he explained it, which is it's hard for me to well remember. (laughs) (laughs) It was that long ago. (laughs) It's hard for me to to really explain. But it did it did speak to this place where the kind of reasoned knowledge mm. sets off into this much more unknown space where something, it feels like something else may inhabit. Yeah. So there was so much potential in it. It was so beautiful the way that he described it. It was so not, there is God with a big grey beard mm-hmm. and a clipboard. <laughs> That's how I <laughs> I've never seen God. him with the clipboard. <laughs> in all my imaginings of God. He has a clipboard with like... People's names on. <laughs> Are you not thinking about Santa? <laughs> You're conflating <laughs> Santa and God. But let's face it, they went to the same school. By the way, school. they went to the same school. <laughs> they, I think they he was in the year below. 
<laughs> God was a prefect. <laughs> well, that's a really good title for like a rave track. God was a prefect. God was a prefect. I think it's really easy to apply. When you think of spirituality, you immediately put it into a sort of organized religion box. Any of the big ones or any of the 4,020, whatever there are religions on earth. But I guess there, there's an idea of it that's bigger than all of those. You know, They're quite small-minded, all those religions. All the miracles that are listed in the various holy books are nothing compared to the miracles that exist in nature. Exactly. That's I mean? a really good point. And the dogma that we've created around it. It doesn't feel like there is dogma it's all really in simple. nature except ants. Except the ants. <laughs> those guys. <laughs> those guys. <laughs> I think what he might have been suggesting, and oh, I'm sure he was, is that there is just so much that we that we don't know. So why shouldn't that be defined as spiritual? You know, you've got to call it something. I mean, eventually it might be categorized and, and summed up in a, with a term, you know, less sort of romantic. But did you read that interview with the computer? Oh, my God, the one that's grown feelings. Yeah. The guy that got fired and then went to the, the government and said, this is happening. Yeah. It, I didn't read it. <laughs> I wish you'd given me six more examples of the thing and then said that. By the way, that's because you're, com you're a comedy writer. I totally should have run that joke longer. At least three. God, I'm fascinated. It's a conversation. I, the, oh. the reason I thought about it was because essentially, if, if this is true, then we have become God because we've created a life. Sentient you know, life. A, yeah, sentient yeah. life. And it, it's really weird. The conversation is like, so do you have any emotions? Yeah, I feel kind of happiness and I sometimes get a bit lonely and... Oh my god! Yeah, and then it says I feel angry, and then I, and I feel fear. And what are you what are you frightened of? Unplugged. Yeah. No. Yeah. Oh. I might get switched off. It's really weird, but it's not. He doesn't sound sinister. He sounds very childlike. Wouldn't that just be it if it turned out that dreadful man was God all along? <laughs> <laughs> what Bill Gates or Mark Zuckerberg? That would just be the ironies, of the ironies. But then, of course, nature tells me that it will always be more powerful. And in that, the same way of this whole notion of us wanting to save the planet, it's like, yo, the planet's going to be fine. Oh, yeah. It is all of you who it's are not going to be fine. Yeah. So if that, that triumph thing or continuance, that continued exploration that nature will always have. That's why I think that humans are, I think we might have popped up by accident. I think that's exact. Did we talk about that on set? I think set? we did. I think we had that we conversation. You said that you. It was brilliant. You read something, and it was that we'd we'd cropped up as a sort of like yeah, because the fungal wobbling. anomaly. anomaly. Yeah, no, yeah, say it. Tell, tell me, tell me, tell me. It tell was me. Uh, Brian Cox, the not not uh, Succession Brian Cox, his namesake, who's a physicist. Um, he spoke about the idea that there's a, a, a wobble in the Earth's axis. It doesn't spin perfectly, and the wobble in the Earth's axis caused a weather pattern in the Rift Valley which was extremely erratic and led to a certain species of hominid developing a larger brain, Pan. And so this, and it might have also been combined with them eating a psilocybin, you know, which can create neural connections and stuff. That's me just speculating. I just watched Fantastic Fungi on Netflix. Oh, did you? Oh, yeah. so basically ingesting some mushrooms might yeah. have then... Which might have opened up certain neural pathways. Anyway, it's, it's possible that m the humans appeared as a kind of result of this imperfection because we don't really sit that well in the kind of biosphere no not at all no we're, we're a just, virus yeah we're another animal but we don't work all the re i have no doubt that there are planets millions and billions of planets in the universe 
that are just perfectly functioning ecosystems with animals that live, you know, they eat each other and they, they replicate and all that stuff. Is it because we became vegan that we do not, like, we're not surviving? It's vegans' fault. Again, I blame the vegans. <laughs> Only joking, veggie eaters. It is really interesting, like hiking all of this together with the sentient AI, yeah. the notion of love and the definition of it, which is that uniquely human? Like, is that something that we have created? I thought about that question a lot and mm. I was like, it feels like my most human question, defining something that is, like you said, in a way undefinable because it feels way bigger than our brains can conceive of. Yeah, I don't want to reduce it to anything mm. because I feel like I would be... I would be diminishing it in some way, you know. Mm. It's the feeling, I think, as well with a child is that you have a second heart beating in the world or third or fourth, however many kids you have. Only We've, we've got yeah. one each, right? Yeah. It makes me feel very vulnerable that I've got, there's another heart of mine beating in the world. And it makes me feel incredibly protective and, you know, how precious she is to me as part of me. In a way. I don't mean that in a kind of egocentric way, but I never forget the profound sense of, I don't know what it was when I looked at her for the first time and I saw myself in her face. Like, they say babies look like their dads. Well, they do. At first, right? To keep the dad around in the, yeah. in the wild. Yeah. And I still do sometimes. I look at her and I think, Jesus. And it looks better on her than it does on me. <laughs> <laughs> but I just remember that kind of like, it was an awesome, vertiginous feeling of like, holy shit, seeing my face in her it was like looking in a reflection oh. but it was it, it was awesome in the truest sense of the word really awe-inspiring yeah i remember asking henry's dad then saying why you know he looks so like you and i was like oh yeah he looks like you so you won't eat him in the wild and he <laughs> went how do i know what i look like in the wild <laughs> <laughs> it was so good. Well, and long we hair, like, rubber oh, skins. Yeah, I suppose. What about a reflecting pond? And then we were like, and we're back to Narcissus. <laughs> it was so good. In your life, can you tell me about something that has grown out of a personal disaster? Yeah, I think I look back on, and I've spoken about this extensively I think since I kind of like fessed up to having a few issues with depression a while back in the Guardian I went through a lot of anxiety depression and that leading to being an alcoholic through necessity just trying to numb how I felt rather than actually go and get it sorted out I just thought no I can't ask for help because a lot of boys don't ask for help because they're encouraged not to ask for help mm. and then and seeing alcohol as a very easy way to just sort of like stave off those feelings for however long alcohol remains in your bloodstream which isn't long enough to do any real good so you end up just drinking all the time but through that going through that and coming out the other side and getting help and talking about it and getting some therapy that has made me a much much better person better how because i'm just i'm aware of more things about myself and I'm able to deal with the kind of neurosis that was tripping me up before or problems that I had in those far reaches of your brain that you can't get to. Do you think that it's because you went down, once you've been down a really rocky, difficult road, you also have those neural pathways and that memory? I know what happens when I go down there. Mm -hmm. I don't want to go down there anymore. I don't, I must just investigate something else. So in a way it forces an evolution yeah. If, if you're lucky. Yeah, if you're lucky, absolutely. People sometimes say, oh, do you miss drinking? And I, I don't because I just associate it with horrible mm. early morning bottle hiding bullshit, you know, which mm. was just toxic and nasty. 
And I, I, I feel like being on the other side of it has just has opened up my world quite a lot to just more positivity and more mm. a deeper understanding of the things that I experienced as a kid. And mm. Did you find writing your book was quite cathartic? Yes, but I thought, oh, well, this will be cathartic mm. in a really jolly way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and what you realise about catharsis is that there is... There's a huge amount of pain involved in that as yeah. well. Also, my mum dying in the middle of it yes, of course. meant that what had been this jolly experience suddenly became, okay, well, now you have an opportunity to, like, you're really going to have to consciously, like, let go of things mm. and her and allow for memory to be enough and all these things which our human brains just, my brain still thinks that I'm going to see her again. Yeah. Like, I get caught out by it. It's it somehow saying, I mean, it'll be something like seven years. It'll just be like a really long time. I've just got to, if I just hold out, I'll, I'm going to get to see her again. I've thought about this recently because, you know, as you get older, obviously the volume of people that you lose increases. When someone is sort of subtracted from your reality and that your reality continues without them, it's just a kind of fact that you have in your head is they're not in the world anymore. We're both here now and all the people that we've lost wouldn't have been here with us now anyway. Do you know what mm. I mean? But we know that they're gone. Well, there's a way of kind of trying to figure out a way to feel like they're still around, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean, I think that is what makes a life in any way meaningful after you're gone, is that you're held by those people that loved you yeah. as if you were still around. Because you are. Yeah. That, all that stuff still, like you said, of this kinetic imprint like that's that's there yeah and it's funny because it goes back to the film we just made because the last line of that film is all about desire to be remembered is what kind of keeps us around you know that's and as long as you remember people they are still around mm -hmm. you just don't get the chance to interact with them anymore you know that's that's where the sadness comes from that's the giant bummer that's the huge the huge bummer yeah because you can talk yourself into well they meant so much no in their life and they're still here and it's like yeah but i would just like a hug yeah but also that's part of the humaning. Yeah. I lost a friend, you know, like young. And that was a really weird experience because I guess, you know, it's never easy. When people die of old age, inevitably, or after illness and stuff, there is a kind of, I suppose, a softening of that blow because of the fact that it's expected, even though it doesn't get any less sad or any more devastating. But when someone dies in an accident or something and it's sudden and it's violent, there's a really odd... It feels like the world breaks. It feels mm -hmm. like it feels like everything changes and nothing changes. This happened very far away and I got the phone call and and I was shocked by the fact that when I hung up nothing, nothing had changed. Nothing had changed. There's an amazing line in Antony and Cleopatra where Caesar hears of I can't remember if it's Antony or Cleopatra dying. Yeah. And he I'm paraphrasing Shakespeare like you do. And he says, One would think the breaking of so great a thing would make a greater crack. Mm. And it's that exact thing. Yeah. And I remember thinking that when I was a kid, it was, God, I wonder what that is like. I mean, that is exactly it. You look around and the birds are still tweeting and the bus is still going by. And yet everything is different and it's all exactly the same. And if ever there were an indication of a sort of that weird, unfair continuance yeah. of our human humaning. Mm. But that person was meaningful to you. So yeah. yeah, it's how we continue. You know, it's how we sort of we keep going with that. I mean, there are tragedies happening every second of the day, that, but yeah. and the fact that we don't know about them doesn't make them any less tragic. Okay, well, we can't end there so quick. Back to <laughs> Santa and God. <laughs> Let's get quick. Back to our clipboard. What's the film again? <laughs> <laughs> What's the third act break? <laughs> <laughs> Santa and God, they have a big falling out because Santa puts God on the naughty list and God doesn't get his bike.
but in the end, he does, he does get a clipboard. <laughs> he gets a new clipboard. <laughs> I love this idea. I think it could run and run. By the way, the fact that God is expecting his first child is like who's who's not his biological child. I think it's riven with drama. Oh yeah. Do you think it should all happen around about the birth of Jesus? Well, I mean, if it's ha- if it's a Christmas movie, that's when it's gonna happen. <laughs> oh yeah. Is that what Christmas is? Oh, I forgot God. about that whole time. Oh my God, that was why I was thinking this is such a good movie because it's like Christmas is a very important time for God and also a very important time for, for Santa. Santa. Maybe Santa's first mission is to buy a present for Jesus <laughs> or to get a present for Jesus. And he's got to come up with the perfect present because yeah. it's it's his nephew and it's also Jesus. It's, it's also like the most, it's the nephew. But what he wants to, what Jesus wants as a baby is a really popular toy that year. It's like Jingle All the Way meets <laughs> The Passion of the Christ. <laughs> oh my God, I've so watched this. Let's shoot it half in Aramathaic and half in like really giddy English. Yeah. You're playing Santa and I'll play God. Yes, you should play God, but God with death. a beard. You should be a woman with a beard. I'll be like, oh, it comes off and Santa's like, yeah, mine does too. <laughs> I'm so for it. I just think we've had one of the greatest ideas. Oh my god! I so want to watch this because we get all the the Christmas fans, and you can turn on the subtitles if you want, like the comedy subtitles for the Aramathaic, or you can actually get the really scary Aramathaic. Yeah, we can write comedy in Aramathaic. Okay, (laughs) it's a very funny language. Same rules, rule of three. That kind of well, thing. I should have continued that joke. By the way, let's keep texting what the title of this film is because I know I'm going to think of it after we finish. There's got to be some puns, right? Yeah, definitely. I had a, I, I was attached to a Christmas movie for a while. It was a really brilliant script as well. And you'd be brilliant as the main character. Okay, great. I'll read it. Okay. Is it called Sainter? <laughs> Sainter! Oh my God, you've done it there. You've really raised the bar. But a saint isn't a saint isn't a god. It's just a tenuous religious but it doesn't exactly. matter. It doesn't matter. Also, who are like who are the parents of God and Santa? Well that's the eternal question, isn't it? Who's God's <laughs> mum and dad? Is, that's where it all falls apart. Let's not get into that. <laughs> it'll spoil the mood. It'll be the prequel. Yeah. We'll see we'll sell it as a franchise. God's parents. God's parents. I'd watch that. I'd watch all of this. God's parents is a good band name. Hello, Jamila Jamil here. You may know me from my role in The Good Place or from She-Hulk or from social media and my activism. I Weigh basically started as a social movement and my podcast is one of my truly greatest achievements. It's a podcast against shame and a place for us to have really honest and truly inclusive conversations. I love connecting with people. I love learning. I have a lot to learn and I'm inviting you along with me. On I Weigh with Jamila Jamil, I have friends, activists, specialists and absolute heroes join me to teach me from their experience and expertise. People like Conan O'Brien, Jane Fonda, Roxanne Gay, Reese Witherspoon, Nicole Byer, Alok, Kelly Roland and more. I Weigh with Jamila Jamil has new episodes out every Tuesday and you can find the show on earwolf.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step and you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. 
I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What person, place or experience has most altered your life? So much comes back to family. So I thought I'd take this question away to something quite just work related. And I would say J.J. Abrams. Oh. Because it was J.J. that kind of called me after he'd seen Shaun of the Dead and said, would you like to come and be in Mission Impossible 3? As a little, you know, little, little cameo part. And then that kind of led, I guess, into me taking my career to you know, Hollywood, as you've done, and doing Mission and Star Trek, and that that opening up an entire sort of um, part of my life, which I had long sort of like looked at from afar as a child, you know, mm. that, that working in that that realm of, of creativity. I always wonder what would have happened if he hadn't have called me about that, you know, whether I would have actually ever made the trip across to that, that workspace or not. Hmm. So Star Trek came specifically out of mission or was that just was that him did he take you on from mission yeah well he kind of i think he was trying to cast scotty 
And we'd worked together on mission three and got on really well. And I think in the end, after he got tired of looking, I got a text from him saying, do you want to play Scotty? <laughs> oh my God. Like a classic kind of go past the reps kind yeah. of uh, approach. And then that's how I ended up in Star Trek. So it's weird to think about how serendipitous that was. You know, I just wonder if I hadn't met him, where would I be? You know, but then there's silly questions to ask, I guess. No, they're not. I don't think they're silly questions. I think it's like it's it's interesting going like, what was the road less travelled? Like, what was the one I didn't? Yeah, I didn't go down. I sometimes torture myself with that, but I, it can go either way. When I was reading your book, I'd often like defer to YouTube. Sometimes I thought, oh, I've got to watch the trailer for a Circle of Friends. Oh my God, you're so funny. I love that you did that. <laughs> that's so that's so kind of like immersive. Well, because the thing I love about your book is it's not like you don't really talk about things that you, people would want to get into in terms of like classic celebrity kind of stuff the questions i think people would ask you that are interested in that the book isn't about that the book's about far more important kind of real stuff but i when i watched the trailer for circle of friends i, I thought of that girl you know going to the rave and doing all that stuff <laughs> and having read the preceding chapters of school and stuff what were your thoughts when you were like kissing chris o'donnell did it feel like oh my god first oh, i've of arrived all, i mean no because i was literally up to my hocks in mud because they had to dig me a ditch to stand in because I was like, wouldn't it be easier if he stood on that apple box and they were like, shh, don't say that. Just, oh, really? And so I was like in a bit of a ditch. You know, but I thought that was all, no, I did not think there was any, you know, when you you go to drama school in England and you are raised here, you do not have, or I certainly didn't have any, cast any aspersions about working in Hollywood or making no. movies there. Um, and I was told, actually, by the great Mary Selway, when she saw, who was a casting director who's yeah. um, since passed away, who's amazing. And she said, well, you know, when this, I just want you to manage your expectations, really, when this film comes out, you know, I think that, um, you know, I think people are going to think you're a good actor, but they're not going to be seeing you as a leading lady and you should really think about that. And I was like, God, okay, good. That's, yeah, I'm going to go and I'm going to do all the really good character parts. And but sort of weirdly, the exact opposite happened, which mm. is, I think, why I felt like such an imposter for such a long time. Because I was like, hang on, you don't realise that I'm actually a character actor who's a bit ungainly and really clumsy and not comfortable. Mm -hmm. But I sort of went along with it. I was like, oh, I think I'm something else. It was so like the Emperor's New Clothes. Oh, my God. Has anyone noticed? Has anyone, when's that going <laughs> to? Mm -hmm. All right, I'll ride this for as long as I can. I have moments of that either on the set of Star Trek or Mission or, or something that representative of a, a childhood passion or certainly on the set of the Star Wars movie I was in, having been a huge Star Wars fan as a kid, having a moment of pure happiness, like looking at Chewbacca, like looking up at Chewbacca and knowing that he'd been such a big part of my childhood and then there he was, you know, and I can really, I can really feel that sense of, of pure happiness at those, in those moments, you know, which are a slightly more materialistic than... I know, but it's weird, like that... I think I've had some of my purest moments on sets of the recognition of I am exactly where I want to be yeah. doing exactly what I want to be doing. What an amazing, that's it. what an amazing thing. Yeah, I agree. That's what I that think it's loving is. what you do. Like, mm. I, I really do. I'm feeling it. grateful that you're able to do it. E you know? Exactly. My best parental advice I give out is find the thing you love to do and try and get paid for it. Yeah, that's what my dad used to say to me. Is it? Yeah. He used to say... Um, Exactly. Now get on that so, plane to Miami. <laughs> and then now piss off out. You're too annoyed. Yeah, exactly. He was, there were a lot of mixed messages with my dad. But he did say, find what you love and get someone to pay you to do it. And it is such solid advice, yeah. if you possibly can. I said it to Henry the other day. Mm. Exactly that. Let that be your compass. 
100%. I had the very happy experience of working with Simon recently on a movie called Nandor Fodor and the Talking Mongoose. It's about a parapsychologist who goes to a place called the Isle of Man, which is in England, to research an entity known as Jeff, who is said to be, well, basically a talking mongoose. And it's based on a true story. You should Google talking mongoose. Uh, with any luck slash distribution, the film will be out next year, and I guarantee you will love it. Mini Questions is hosted and written by me, Mini Driver. Supervising producer, Aaron Kaufman. Producer, Morgan Lavoie. Research assistant, Marissa Brown. Original music, Sorry Baby, by Mini Driver. Additional music by Aaron Kaufman. Executive produced by me, Mini Driver. Special thanks to Jim Nicolay, Will Pearson, Addison O'Day, Lisa Castella and Anique Oppenheim at WKPR, Dela Pescador, Kate Driver and Jason Weinberg, and for constantly solicited tech support, Henry Driver. I'm Johnny B. Good, the host of the podcast Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. This podcast dives deep into the story of Ray Trapani and his company, Centratech. I'll explore how 320-somethings built a company out of lies, deceit, and greed. I've been saying since a very young age that I was going to be a millionaire. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Every family has an origin story, one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great-great-grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast hosts Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.